This is Nuri Shahin, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 157 of The Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always. And uh, I'm joined by two guys to talk about Borussia Dortmund and four games. Lars Pohlmann from Bleacher Report. Hello, Lars. Hi, Stefan. How are you, How are you doing? doing? No, I, I beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we'll see about that in the editing. But I'm doing fine, Lars. Thanks for asking. Uh, nevertheless, how are you? Good as always. That's good to hear. And Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung. Hello, Konstantin. Hello. What's How are up? you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? How are you guys doing? Everything fine? Enjoyed yeah. the football week? Well, I did for the most part. And uh, yeah, before we start the show, I think we should tell our listeners what we actually have in store. We dissected this show into four segments. So in part one, we will talk about the 1-1 draw against Seta Berlin. In part two, we will gloss over... The Champions League win 2-1 away to Sporting, which was uh, pretty great. And in the preview section in part three and four, let's put it this way, we will talk about an away match to Ingolstadt, who are last in the Bundesliga, and then also preview the home match against Union Berlin, which will go down on Wednesday night. So yeah, without any further ado, let's dive right into part one. And as always, I will come to you first. Lars, what are your takeaways from the 1-1 match on Friday night against Hertha Berlin? Yeah, it's been basically the game we we kind of expected. We all knew how Hertha would shape up. They are concentrated on defense, don't commit a lot of men forward, like to build a wall around their box, make it difficult for teams to penetrate that their defense and for teams to create chances against them uh, and going forward we talked about their being the most clinical team in the Bundesliga they showed it again scoring the first goal with I think the first real big chance in the entire game and from then on Dortmund were left chasing uh, I guess we'll talk about the the hectic final let's say 15-20 minutes later on I think it was good that Dortmund uh, got the point uh, and how they got the point because uh, first there was the the big Aubameyang chance he missed, uh, then he missed the penalty, but they kept going and scored the, what I believe to be a deserved equalizer uh, with 10 minutes to go. And then I guess because of the the hectic and the the expulsions and the general atmosphere in the stadium, a second goal wasn't to be scored. And after the game, I said, uh, that a 1-1 draw against uh, this Hertha side at the moment, they are playing fairly well, isn't the, the worst result, especially if we consider how many key players were out on the day. Yeah, Konstantin, um, before the game, there was a lot of discussion, mostly, uh, you know, through the media, as, as it usually is, uh, that's... Borussia Dortmund or Thomas Tuchel actually, uh, you know, he pointed out that his team got fouled more than uh, his team is being fouled. And uh, 
I think Paul Dardai picked it up and uh, tried to point out that his team is also rather a fair side. I think the second fairest team in the league up to that point, he said. And uh, with that, everyone in the stadium, I feel, was kind of uh, sensibilized to the atmosphere. Did you have the same feeling to the yeah. fouls? Sure. Uh, it was a, yeah, there was a feeling in the stadium that... Yeah, a lot of people reacted fairly quickly to even like average fouls, um, typical, you know, fouls with happen, which happen uh, all the time in matches. So sure, it was, it was something, uh, Tuchel's comments had an impact on, on the fans, on the crowd, uh, maybe even so on the players on the pitch. So it is a discussion I don't really like. And I think especially the club itself and also like media, shouldn't pay too much attention and should just go on and don't uh, throw this picture of the Bundesliga as, you know, some sort of um, brutal league where every, every match turns out into a fist fight or something. You know, the first rule of Fight Club is to not talk about Fight Club. So I guess that applies here. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I, I, I wasn't really uh, going to pay too much attention to it anyway. Um, but uh, there were other notable things in that game. Uh, for example, the debut of one Mikel Merino. Um, Lars, I know you uh, call him the Don. <laughs> so you are going to talk about him now, I guess. Yeah, he played in central defense, which I still believe is not his best position. Uh, he struggled, especially in the first half, uh, misplaced a few passes too many, but uh, got better as the game went on, which is a good sign. And he grew a lot of confidence out of, uh, you know, every, everything that worked basically in the second half. And especially after they went behind, he stepped up a bit more into the half spaces. What like we've seen from, uh, Mats Hummels last season at times. Uh, I guess that's where the, his upbringing as a central midfielder, uh, helps him out. He stepped up into those spaces and played some really important passes and really pretty passes and pre-assisted the only goal Dortmund scored with a nice through ball to Dembele, uh, who I think changed the game off the bench. And yeah, I mean, Merino's not going to see the field too often, especially now that uh, both Socrates and Mark Bartra are back. But it was a fairly encouraging debut i would say uh, considering the circumstances of too many players missing uh, i mean they had to finish the game with yoho park whom we weren't kind of sure whether he actually <laughs> still exists uh, playing at left back um, he played next to matthias ginter and considering all that i think dortmund's defense did pretty good in the game uh, in, in total and that also Goes for Merino. I think after the game, uh, local paper Ruhrnachrichten gave him a rating that would translate for our international listeners to a 2 out of 10, or is it 3 out of 10, or something along those lines, and I think that was way too harsh. I think he was uh, a bit disappointing perhaps in the first half, but pretty good in the second half, so uh, I would probably have given him something like a 5 out of 10 or so. So, pretty good, not great, but Greatness was not something that we could expect from someone making his first ever start at a position that's not really his best. Yeah, I can't even remember how I rated him on ESPN. Um, but uh, what is actually 
quite notable is that he had the most touches in the game of all players, 149. Um, and you mentioned just uh, Juho Park. Um, that his substitution basically meant that Nuri Shine is the only player in the Dortmund squad at the at least in the senior squad to uh, yeah to actually not play a minute for for the team. So yeah, that tells us a lot about his situation, I guess. Um, Konstantin, um, we had some sort of let's say double eight with Mario Götze and Sebastian Rode, even though Rode often dropped back and you know played in a double pivot next to Julian Weigel uh, in in some situations. Um, I know last season very critical. What about you? I mean, he was kind of the weak point uh, in the team again, unfortunately. So I really know what his contribution to the offense could be, um, as he's fairly limited uh, when the team is in possession. I mean, he has some, of course, he has some counter pressing abilities and is a fighting player and someone who can play a little bit ugly and everything. And that's great um, when you are the defending part of a match, but. <laughs> Most of the time, Dortmund is more like the active part who has to create something and to break through the opponent's formation. And I don't think uh, Rode is the right kind of guy to do that and to assist, for instance, Götze and, and Weigel in midfield and assist uh, a player on the, on the outside, a winger. So actually, um, yeah, I don't really know what to make of uh, Rode these days, but he is in a tough position i think and he performs at a level uh, many people expected him to perform uh, before the season started so we will see how things turn out but uh, it's not his best time last so you know by any chance how many forward and backwards passes rode had in this game no i stopped looking at those numbers because they were too depressing almost after the first two match days so not exactly sure of those figures but the the thing with Rode is that I mean I'm harping on him on Twitter and making fun of him because he's an easy target I guess and I'm a dick sometimes, but uh, he's not a bad player you know uh, if he played for literally 15 or 16 of the 18 and other of the 18 clubs in the Bundesliga he would probably be among the best five or six at at the, at all those clubs but he went to Bayern and now then went to Dortmund, the two only clubs in the Bundesliga who who really focus on uh, ball retention and ball circulation and the, and the things that he just can't do. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the sporting match later, but he came on at right back and I think that's probably the only position where right now he fits into the team because he just simply can't play in midfield unless they are defending a two-goal lead uh, at Santiago Bernabeu and need someone to uh, bring down Luka Motoc a couple of times or whatever. Yeah, I think the match against Darmstadt was the only one where he actually uh, could show some cool passes from, from half-field into the box, which uh, yeah created some danger. Otherwise, um, yeah, I sadly have to agree with you. Um, Another interesting point maybe is uh, then... You know, Usman Dembele, because he replaced Rode on, on that position and in a more central role, not playing on the wing. Konstantin, how did you see that? And do you think you, that Dortmund might play that way more often? No, I, I don't think it really worked out that well. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing, uh, Tore has to keep in mind. We have to keep in mind when looking at the squad right now is that there are a few players who can, of course, Fill in different roles and maybe even Tore 
hasn't really figured out uh, what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of some of the new players, of the young players who are still in development and they are still developing. And so maybe he, he has something in mind. Maybe he, he thinks he can, you know, change some roles and try something. Maybe it, it comes out good, but comes out being good. But so I wasn't really satisfied with that. So just, um, there is, there is something to be said about Dortmund now that, um, there isn't, that was something, uh, also Sportbild in another, you know, the German magazine and in another, uh, from another angle, um, discusses that there are, there aren't any, you know, bosses on the, on the, on the field. And on the other side, there aren't, uh, there are many players who are, you know, as I said, still developing, still finding out what could be the right role. And with, with that, there are other players who are, you know, influenced and, and, uh, by that. So it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting to follow as an analyst, maybe as a journalist, as an observer. But, uh, I think and I hope that maybe after a few months, after a few additional months, that Tuchel and his team and his players will figure out what is the right formation, uh, what are the wild, right roles for, for which players. And, uh, and so, yeah, and then they can go forward and, you know, build something up on the, on a new foundation. Yeah, we, we, uh, will cover that very closely, I guess. Sure. Um, now, I don't know. Lars, do you still want to talk about Aubameyang's missed chances or do you want to skip ahead and uh, talk about the incident with Emre Moore? A striker missing chances isn't that interesting because it happens to all of them all the time. So I guess we can skip ahead and uh, talk about Emre Moore's juvenility or moment of lapse of judgment or whatever you want to call it, but to... Uh, predict one of your questions. Yes, I think it was a correct red card, even though, uh, Sebastian Langkamp, the guy who hilariously flopped, despite more being about four or five inches and probably 30 kilograms lighter than him, smaller and lighter than him, uh, uh going to the ground like he was struck by, I don't know, Anthony Joshua or, you know, Vladimir Klitschko, whoever is your favorite heavyweight boxer at the moment. But I think it was a correct decision, uh, from the referee regardless. Yeah, I agree with that, Konstantin. What are your thoughts on on that foul, on the whole it, scene? <laughs> it looked quite funny, to be honest. <laughs> and given the context we discussed, yeah, it's I really know what to say more than that. It's just yeah, I and, think, and, and especially we we talked about how uh, talked about Tuchel's comments and how it might have influenced uh, the crowd and everything, and then. Stuff like that happens to the the moral situation and then the stalker foul. So it was it's just it was perfect um in this kind of situation. Yeah, I think we we can actually note that um you know there there was some I guess litigation or or mitigation, however you want to say it. Uh, you know because I think violent conduct usually means three games suspension but more only got two games so i guess the uh, words from mr langkamp after the game actually made a difference uh, towards the ruling of the dfb uh, because a lot of people were really outraged by the decision uh, that more got suspended for two games but i i think it's fair and maybe it helps a little bit you know for him to calm down in the future 
But uh, yeah, there are examples of players that develop, and then there's Ribery, so you never know in in which direction it's going. But uh, we can point out that at Dortmund, at least there are a lot of guys who uh, you know try to prevent those antics from happening. And uh, we could also see Dembele shuffle guy on on the pitch at some point. Uh, I don't really know who it was. I think it was Skelbret or so. But yeah, those things happen, but usually not from players in in the Dortmund shirt. So um, yeah, I hope we don't have to get used to that, but rather uh, yeah, see those guys uh, find their bit of maturity and cut out the uh, antics and the provocations and whatnot. So yeah, there's that. I think the foul on Shocker also a clear red card. There wasn't really much to to de- to debate. Um, anything else we can take away from this match day, Lars? From the match day itself, uh, Dortmund need more from their senior players at the moment. They have a lot of youngsters, and that was especially the case before Socrates and Bartra came back and, and Piszczek, uh, for the Champions League match. They need more from guys, uh, like Overmeyang, uh, Götze, who was a passenger in the Hertha game, and Rode. Um, they need those senior players with more experience to really guide the the younger guys and I don't want to act like the the more situation had anything to do with guidance it was just him reacting strangely to a fairly normal situation um but you need you need the 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 older guys and it's funny that Mario Götze with 24 years of age is one of the older guys on the team at the moment but you really need more from them and I think we got more from them in the sporting match, so I guess that's a good segue. It is, it is. Um, and yeah, we'll just meet again in part two. There's uh, Julian Feigl. Oh, he picks out the bottom corner beautifully. And Dortmund do double their lead before half-time. And it's the unlikeliest of goal scorers, really. All right, we are back with part two. Now it's all about the Champions League. Borussia Dortmund won a match in Lisbon, 2-1 to against Sporting. And uh, it, it was kind of an interesting game considering, uh, you know, Felix Paslak started on the left side uh, as Marcel Schmelzer was out injured, Rafael Guerrero out injured and uh, Juho Park not eligible for this match. So, um, yeah, I will now turn to you, Konstantin, and ask you about the general takeaways before we go more in depth. Uh, general takeaways. It was it was a weird, uh, weird match. Just you know, looking from from Dortmund's perspective, that they really controlled um, Sporting. Um, but with the goal uh, from Bruno Cesar and everything that happened in the last I don't know, thirty minutes or so, it it turned out to be a weird one I, I, again. I think um, it's not the first time this season that I think Dortmund, you know had the match and the win in their hands and then it slipped slightly away and of course they grabbed it and won um at sporting so that that's great uh given the constellation in the group so i mean more or less if they if they win against sporting at home then i think they're they are through uh, at least as um the second ranked team so yeah and i liked the Götze Kagawa pairing at least it's it's an experiment and something that I hope I hope at least will be part of Dortmund's starting lineup more often. Um, 
and around that. I mean, you mentioned like the problems at left back and at right back that Paslak had to play as a left back and in Ginter at the right. So that's not perfect. And it's something that hopefully changes fairly quickly. So I mean, Dortmund needs uh, Schmelzer and also, of course, Piszczek was available. So isn't that a big of a problem? But I think Paslak at the right is, is more effective. Although I have to say that, that he, he has done quite well in the recent weeks. So that's, that's a plus, uh, especially for Paslak, who's still young and who's also still developing. Um, yeah. No, just, just again, weird match, as I said. Yeah. Lars, I was about to, uh, write that Sporting was actually the far better side in the first eight minutes or so. And then Dortmund scored and the momentum swung completely. Um, how, Big of a takeaway is it for, for, uh, Borussia Dortmund that they can still, even though despite all the injuries, you know, drive up to sporting and, uh, dominate the match over, I don't know, good 60 minutes or so. I mean, that's just a testament to their strength and depth. I mean, despite all the injuries, if you look at the two sides compared to each other, I think Dortmund had far more quality on the pitch than sporting. Uh, so. Uh, looking at the lineups uh, with Bartra and Socrates coming back, I was fairly confident of Dortmund's chances of getting three points there. Uh, even though, as we talked about last week, I didn't know too much about Sporting. Um, I still don't know, I guess, because they only really, <laughs> really pushed for, uh, you know, for for a goal around 30 minutes before the final whistle or so, and had really uh, a lot of luck getting that one goal because of, the, of Mark Bartra's. Uh, lapse of judgment or whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the thing is that, uh, for, for once in the last few weeks, I mean, Dortmund came into the game with a streak of three games without a win. In those three games, the, uh, the flow of the game didn't really help Dortmund. I mean, they chased the game against Hertha. They were down after 10 minutes against Leverkusen and the Real match. Okay. It's, it's another thing entirely because of the quality of the opponent, but, it was really important for Dortmund to settle in to the game, to to calm the game down, to score the first goal, and what the goal it was. I mean, that's that's the perfect goal uh, to showcase Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's all-around talent. I mean, he he has the 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 blazing speed, but he's also quite powerful, uh, hold, uh, holding uh, off the defender, and then the the perfect finish with this weaker foot. I guess that also also shows that he's. Uh, he has a short memory uh, in terms of he doesn't dwell on chances he missed against Hertha. He turned around and scored uh, after nine minutes with the first chance he got against Sporting. That's also a hallmark of a of a good player and 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 one who you can depend on even if he misses a chance uh, every now and then. So, as I said, uh, just comparing the two teams, Dortmund had more quality on the pitch. So, I think. Uh, the the fact that they let it slip away a bit toward the toward the the last half hour or so has really much to do with just the personnel situation, especially in defense, and and not really with a general problem they have this season. I think for the first fifty sixty minutes that was a really good performance away from home in the Champions League, and that's something they should be commended for. You know, you you said that you didn't really know Sporting before uh, the match, and I think none of us really did listening back to uh, the the last episode where we tried to preview sporting and if it wasn't for Tom Kunnert coming on and talk a little bit about them 
uh, we probably wouldn't have known anything. Uh, so what I found really interesting and baffling at the same time is that Sporting didn't really seem to know much about Dortmund either because uh, Julian Weigel probably had one of the better games of his career. Uh, we can talk about his goal later, but uh, it's even more interesting how much space he had. Usually the last three opponents, be it Real Madrid, you know, Hertha or Bayer Leverkusen, they all men mark Michael situationally, but most of the game to uh, cut him off. Sporting completely snoozed on that. And uh, yeah, I think overall Dortmund had quite a lot of space to roam Although in, in the first minutes, Sporting was kind of attacking. But after that, once Dortmund had the, the, the lead and calmed the game down, you know, it was all theirs. And it didn't really feel like they had an away game. And that, that was quite interesting that, yeah, at least I found that, that Sporting on that level in the Champions League, uh, they get their tactic that wrong. Just, just saying that, um, Constantine, unless you want to say something on, on the tactical lineup. Um, there was one incident with Bastost and uh, Roman Bürki clattering into each other. Let's let's put it this way. And uh, there was a goal, but it was disallowed because of that situation. Uh, was it the right call or no? Oh, there was, there was a tough one, I think, because uh, Dost was standing there, um, just standing there. Okay, you know, he's like... I don't know, six, eight or something. <laughs> at least it feels like, uh, he's that tall. And Berkeley looks towards the ball, uh, leaves, leaves the goal line and just runs into, uh, dust. I, I, for, at least I, I remember the, the scene that way. Um, that's, that's just, that's just difficult. I mean, sure, dust is there, but he's not really actively blocking Berkey. So, yeah really difficult to to um tell if that's what well, if that was the right call so hmm. well let's put it this way he was uh, slightly moving towards Berkey, but only because okay. he was pushed by socrates <laughs> yeah I, um, I, I just remembered like they had like one camera angle from behind um like from the second corner so to say and then then just you saw um Berkey running you know to the um, towards the penalty points, uh, more or less. And th then he's running into, into dust, uh, who's just standing there. Yeah, you are right. I think Socrates was behind him and maybe pushed him a little bit and, and something like that. But it's, it's hard. And I know that like the policy today is that if, uh, if a goalkeeper, yeah, just, just get touched, um, then it's foul, but that's not really the rule. And, the goalkeeper is um, not protected. Many say that uh, he is, but he isn't. So um, it's not like it's not like when you touch the goalkeeper, it shouldn't be a foul. So, but in this case, it was even uh, a, a fairly different situation that he runs out and he runs into the striker. So, and and I don't even know if he uh, would have been able to catch the ball. Well, just let's say, just hadn't been there. So. I, I think he could have he could have connected at least part yeah. of the way or so. Punching but it away maybe. Yeah, let, let's let's put it this way: going by Bundesliga standards, this uh, this kind of situation is almost always called. Um, I don't know, Lars. What's your take on the whole thing? I don't like that it's being whistled off because I think uh, referees are too soft on goalkeepers. Uh, goalkeepers are the only two people on the pitch who are allowed to use their hands. So 
they have that advantage, so they don't need to be protected as much. Uh, they they use their knees. Uh, I mean, as a striker, you are living more dangerously than the goalkeeper in every situation because he he will knee you in the head really hard if you uh, if you are unlucky. So I don't think they need the extra protection, but I don't think this particular incident was one where the the whistle was crazy or you know. Where, where, where that referee is the only one who would have made that decision. I think if you see that situation ten times, it's probably going to be whistled away at least three or four times. So it's in the ballpark of 50-50. And then, you know, I don't think we should talk too much about a 50-50 decision like that. Yeah, I guess, I guess that one got, got a little bit lucky there. But yeah, talk about something else, Lars. Uh, why don't you describe Julian Weigel's very first professional goal because there are no words to describe the magnificent beauty of julian weigel's first professional goal i mean i can i can can try he won a loose ball against the hulking william cavallo on a side note i read today somewhere i think it was kicker who gave julian weigel and cavallo the same grade for the game which is more than just laughable uh because weigel was the best player on the pitch by far and cavallo actually didn't do shit in the game Aside from one lucky uh, pass that went uh, that that turned into a chance, I believe. Uh, but uh, I digress. Uh, he got past. Uh, I think it was Elias with a body feint, which was neatly uh, neatly done. And then he just, for the first time in his life, probably had enough, or in his professional life at Dortmund, had enough time to to locate his shot perfectly. And it was a pot shot into the lower left corner. No chance for the goalkeeper. No deflection either. I think there's one camera angle where it looks like the defender gets a gets a gets a touch on the ball, but it was really just the 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 perfect shooting technique from Weigel that guided it towards uh, the goal line, even though it wasn't hit with too much power. It was just perfect precision and positioning, and the entire thing was a thing of beauty that we will watch and and talk about for a, another few months at least. Yeah, Thomas Sochel also said something about it after the game, didn't he? Oh, you mean the, the, the Park thing? Yeah, he said that he can only remember one other goal from Weigel in the entire time together. And I mean, it's now the second season. I think Weigel has played like 63 or so professional matches for Dortmund. This was the first goal. It wasn't only the first goal. It was the first time he got close, if we're being honest. And, and, and Tuchel said that he, the only other goal he remembered was from a final training session ahead of a Europa League match against, uh, Park Salonika last season. And he said it's so special that we, uh, have it on video and look at it from time to time. So I guess they now have a much better and more important video to look at. Yeah, definitely. That, uh, goal more or less won Dortmund the game and brought three points. Um, Konstantin, I guess we have to talk, you know, about the, um, let's, let's say 68th minute or so. That was more or less when, uh, Batra had to be, be taken off, um, after, after Bruno Cesar hammered home that direct or indirect free kick rather, um, Pischek coming on and, uh, going on the right back position. And a couple of minutes later, Pischek had to, uh, fill in for Ginter, who, you know, had to be, taken off i guess he was slightly concussed or something like that oh yours and, uh, yeah then, from the look then of basically his eyes. yeah then then it was Piszczek and socrates uh playing in center on the center back position i guess it uh, has to be noted that socrates also had to move uh to the to the uh position where he usually doesn't play on so they were more or less both 
out of position. Um, what do you what do you make of this little backline? I mean, it shouldn't be the rule that uh, Piszczek and Socrates are a center back pairing, but in this case, and Rode on the right back. Yeah, I mean, Rode on the right back. Sure, occasionally I don't mind seeing him uh, at right back. Maybe it's, it's it's a position he can pick up uh, if he struggles in center midfield. But yeah, it's just you know, given the injuries um, that happened during the match and. Given the options, uh, Tuchel had on the bench, it was, um, it was Piszczek and Rhoda and, and Bornich, who's, who's not really a center back. I mean, yeah, I know he, he has played there, um, often enough to maybe call him as a center back, at least a center back option. But, um, yeah, Piszczek fielding in the middle is was the right call, of course. Um, just something that, that shouldn't happen too often. I mean, let's put it that way. Yeah, Lars, um, you mentioned before we went into this segment how important Mario Götze was or, uh, you know, how, how much he, he, he improved um, with his, uh, let's say, ex experience. Um, how much do you think this can be, you know, a big gain for, for Dortmund that Götze is maybe not the big dribbler he used to be, but still a calming influence and one of the guys who actually can lead the team? Oh, I don't know that he can lead the team. I don't think he's the, he fits the, the personality of a. No, but, but he leader. dictates a, a pace or a rhythm. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're hoping you will get at some point, but, uh, I think Götze is f not involved enough in the play at the moment to call him, you know, a, 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 a metronome or, you know, whatever the, the, the buzzwords are for central midfielders, midfielders nowadays. He averages about I think less than 60 touches per 90 minutes. And uh, let's remember that this was the first time he actually played 90 minutes for Dortmund after doing so three times already for Germany this season. Um, I really liked his performance. I think he benefited greatly from not having to play next to or slightly ahead of Rode. Uh, Kagawa is a much better fit for him. They uh, can, the interplay between the two number eights, if you like, is much better when Götze has a technical player next to him, like uh, Kagawa, or we've seen it with Guerrero as well. Uh, even Castro can be lumped into that group, I guess. And and Götze had really a few important scenes. He not only assisted, if we want to call it an assist, I don't. I'm pretty sure that. <clears throat> sorry, that's something uh, a few outlets will debate whether or not that's actually an assist for Götze. But he was involved in 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 the first goal, and he. Uh, had some uh, important interceptions. He made a few good tackles uh, in midfield. He put in a good shift. I, I, that's a general point I wanted to make. The entire team worked really well. Uh, I mean, even Aubameyang had a few important tackles in, in his own half, which we don't often see from him. Uh, not to say that he's not working hard enough, but it's just not part of Dortmund's game usually. And, and, and this time, I guess because of the personnel situation and defensively, the entire team had to work harder and, and more defensively and they all did it pretty well. And, and Götze was part of that. I think it was another good Champions League performance from him. I think, uh, the, the, his three best games for Dortmund probably have all come in the Champions League this season. So maybe he needs the occasion. Uh, maybe it's just, uh, coincidence, which might well be the case because it's so early in the Bundesliga campaign, but. I think it's one of those uh, performances that he can build on and then that he needs to build on because, as I said before, against Hertha and in some of the other Bundesliga games, he's just been 
a passenger or, or at least not involved enough and, and Dortmund really needs someone in central midfield to take the baton off Gundogan and, and be a playmaker and even though Götze isn't the, the same uh, kind of player of course but he can pick up some of the slack and he needs to do that in a more regular fashion I guess Yeah, a lot of years ago we probably would have said the same about Shinji Kagawa and we actually should do right now but um At least myself, I'm not too impressed with him after this match. I mean, he hasn't really played too much in this season, and so he's usually a player who needs a little bit of rhythm to really pick up his form. And, but um, yeah, again, there were too many odd decisions in in the game, to say the least, where he had the ball, where he had uh, you know all the time in the world to either play a clean pass or I don't know. Uh, go into a dribble or whatever but whatever he did I don't know there were just too many technical mishaps or just too many bad decisions where I know Shinji Kagawa can do a lot better and uh, we have discussed this often enough on this podcast that he is kind of a streaky player but uh, I think if he wants to have a future in Dortmund he really needs to step up and currently he is not uh, Konstantin do you, do you think after the summer it's uh the end for Kagawa at Dortmund? No, I don't think so. I don't see the alternatives. So selling Kagawa means you have to um, yeah, just sign a new number 10, someone who's agile, who can you know, be, be a threat in, in front of the box. So I don't see I don't see it happening, to be honest. Um, I think Shaheen is on his way out. Although you, you don't really know who, who will be interested in signing Shaheen. To be, to be quite frankly, uh, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I, I, sure. If, if Kagawa has the desire to, to leave and he feels like he has to move on, sure. Why, why not? Then let him leave if the price is right. But other than that, I don't, I don't think that they should force him to leave at least. Um, okay. If there's some great number 10, some young player, uh, Dortmund wants to sign. Maybe they, they, they sell him. However, Dortmund, um, at the moment possesses a lot of young players, especially in offense already. Um, so maybe a more experienced guy like Kagawa isn't the worst, um, addition to like this young gun offense. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Last, maybe a couple of words on uh, a young gun, Christian Pulisic, uh, his second start in the Champions League. How did you see him? A little quiet going forward, but uh, I guess we can say the same about uh, who was on the other wing. Was it? It was Dembele. Yeah. No, was it Dembele? I, yeah, it was yeah. Dembele. But but yeah, uh, the the fact that I that, that <laughs> you I can don't rest really, your case that I don't really remember, I guess, is telling enough. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that. Uh, they switched sides after 35, 14 minutes or so because Paslak was struggling a bit with, uh, Jelson Martins is his name, I think. Uh, the, the, the yep. one player from Sporting who really opened eyes, I think. Uh, not that, that Paslak played, uh, played, played badly or anything, but at times, uh, you saw his inexperience, especially on the left side because he, uh, offered uh, his opponent a good angle to go past him and it was just important for Dortmund to 
to fill that hole on the left wing. It was really telling to me that uh, Pulisic was then asked to cover that ground and, and help out his fellow 18-year-old. And I think that's a vote of confidence uh, in both, I guess, because uh, remember we Dortmund had uh, Lukas Piszczek on the bench and would have been easy to just say, you know, uh, Felix Pastor, uh, thanks for the effort, but I think we need more experience there. But Tuchel said, no, let's let's keep him in there. And he went off after 91 minutes with cramps uh, and he really played his guts out. <laughs> Full body cramp, as the German commentator said. Yeah, and, and, and I think that uh, Pulisic's defensive contributions are what sets him apart from Dembele and more at the moment. And that was really on evidence here against Swarting. So I think even though he didn't really produce much going forward, it was still a, a an important step in his uh, professional development. Yeah, I think for for him personally, it's uh, you know he can take a lot of, away from that. What I really find cool in a way is that both Pulisic and Paslak just uh, about a year ago were roaming for the under 19s and under 17s, you know, back in the day, and now they're already playing on Champions League level, and uh, you know they don't really fall off the table or anything. They are uh, on a, on a good level, and uh, Dortmund can rely on them in an important game like that where it's getting really tough towards the end and everyone really has to become get get gritty and get into the match to to hold on to the scoreline um Constantine we had those games you, you you mentioned it earlier quite a bit in in the past that where Dortmund were in a leading position but it became kind of hectic um what I observe often is that they are trying to find the killer blow with one counter attack and then make it even more hectic than it should be is this any anything uh where you say a they have to improve their counter attacking or do you think they should you know not focus on counter attacking but rather on their possession play i i think um before it happens that they focus on counter attacking maybe on the final blow to you know more or less finish the match it happens a lot that um the team is quite exhausted and maybe then the intensity is going down and they are sitting back or are a little bit more passive. Um, you, you know, just watch the Real Madrid game, for instance, um, when they really, when they really look tired after 60 minutes or so. Um, and that's something Dortmund struggles a little bit with exhaust, with uh, limited stamina. And, um, maybe they are, they can, they are controlling a match and everything looks fine. And then they are getting tired and have to, you know, give up their dominance. And then it can become a more open match. And of course, then you should look for a, for counter attack opportunity and then maybe, you know, score the third goal and, and finish the, finish the match. That's, that's something. Of course, that, that sh should be your strategy if you are exhausted. I mean, <laughs> just, um, kind of continue like you did before. So, um, maybe that's, I, I think that's one reason, uh, Dortmund at least sometimes, um, struggles, even though they controlled 45 minutes, 60 minutes of the match. Maybe they are in a leading position, but then it gets a little bit slippery. Lars, what's your take on that? Uh, you know, maybe we can add that some players actually had some problems with circulation, Mark Bartra, for example. Yeah, I mean, 
for one, I I think I never heard of uh, circulation problems in football players before, and then it happened to both Bartra and Ginter. Uh, a cynic would probably say that they are trying to hide a concussion, especially in Ginter's case, because he looked like he was out of it for for a moment there. But uh, I'm not a cynic, so forget what I said. Um, no, you're of course not a cynic. No, uh, I, that that's an insult, my friend. Um, but uh, I think Konstantin covered it pretty well. The 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 thing with uh, defending leads is not always easy because opponents change their game completely uh, toward the end of the game and sometimes it just gets a bit hectic and that happens to to every side every now and then and especially in Dortmund's case now with the the personnel issues and so many young players in there they are it's normal that they push for the third goal because they they want to they want to be active they want to score goals they want to play on the front foot but at times it, it would be better to to put the foot on the ball and and just keep it and and let the play go off, but uh, the, the 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 time run off. But that's part of a learning process for for every team. And Dortmund's team is a very young team, especially at the moment. So I'm not overly concerned with with their inability to to defend leads or anything. I mean, let's remember they held on despite all those issues at away from from home in the Champions League, and they now need to beat Sporting with presumably at least. A number of key players coming back for the return match at the Westfalen Stadion, and then they're through after four rounds in the Champions League, and that's really impressive. Uh, so, the the positive takeaways are so far outweigh the the the, the few. It's not even a negative takeaway, I guess, but the the few issues we maybe have with the game. So, I'm really focusing on the positives here. Yeah, I think that's that's the game where you can really focus on the positives. Where I think everyone anticipated a tough match and Dortmund came away with all three points. Uh, last point I wanted to make is uh, on the whole thing that uh, Thomas Tuchel, I think he he said it too, that some players, uh, some teams just uh, you know give up on their structure and just increase the risk of their play, meaning that you know Dortmund can just as easily, uh, yeah play their their circulation and build up play so um yeah that that should be all uh i think for the champions league at least dortmund look pretty settled and uh yeah now i think it's time to turn our attention to the bundesliga and discuss and preview the match against ingolstadt which we will do after this We are back with the Bundesliga talk now. Borussia Dortmund will travel to Ingolstadt to the south of Germany, and uh, I think it's a good old 3:30 kickoff. So uh, yeah, for the guys in the US, you have to get up early. Meanwhile, uh, people in Japan or you know in Asia somewhere can uh, watch it in the evening. Uh, I guess it's better to have a beer in your hand than uh, you know drink your morning coffee. But uh, that's just me. Um, Lars. Ingolstadt are the team who are dead last in the table. They have taken one point on the first match day against Hamburg, away to Hamburg. Otherwise, they have lost six games in a row now, uh, most recently a 2-1 defeat away to Cologne. Um, 
Is there any chance in hell Dortmund will not win this game? There's always a chance, and uh, looking at Ingolstadt, uh, even though I haven't watched them too closely this season, I do remember distinctly that they actually uh, beat Bayern, if you want to call it that, on expected goals at the Allianz Arena earlier this season, and generally speaking, they are probably the biggest unachievers, underachievers in the Bundesliga at the moment. I'm looking at some expected goals uh, tables or differences, uh, goal differences uh, at the moment in Ingolstadt are listed. That's by Alex Rathke or probably Alex Radke. I don't know him personally, so sorry for butchering it on one of those attempts. Uh, they have a goal difference of minus 10 at the moment in the Bundesliga, but their expected goal difference is at plus uh, 0.95. So that puts them at 6th or 7th in the Bundesliga table. And as you said, they are dead last and have <clears throat> sorry uh, lost 6 in a row and, and generally not looked that great. I think everyone kind of expected... I mean, there's always the talk about the, the second year being much harder for, for newly promoted teams in the Bundesliga and both Ingolstadt and Darmstadt are experiencing that, but also they have both suffered the same fate of losing their successful head coach and regular listeners to this podcast know that I'm a huge fan of uh, Hasenhüttl, their coach who left for Leipzig. I believe he is at least the third or fourth best coach in the Bundesliga. And losing him was always going to be a struggle for them, and I guess that's what we're seeing at the moment. I think there's still a chance that they will not get relegated, even though I I struggle to identify quality in their team, individual quality in their team outside of Pascal Gross. Uh, remember that their, their top scorer last season, I think, was Hartmann, uh, who scored like seven or eight penalties, and that was about it, so... They're struggling. I think he scored nine. Yeah, I mean, he scored all, I think he scored two regular goals or three regular goals and the rest was all penalties. So they are obviously struggling to score and that's a huge issue and they will probably struggle to score against Dortmund. So the question is, uh, when Dortmund, uh, can turn their expected dominance, uh, into a goal. But uh, to come back to your initial question, I don't really see a way that Dortmund don't win the game. Well, that's the answer I was hoping for. Um, Konstantin, I don't know how closely you've uh, observed Ingolstadt, but uh, if you look in the, in the media bubble around them, uh, you will actually read a lot about, talk about their uh, new coach, Markus Kauschinski, uh, who basically uh, wasn't really sure about his tactics, meaning uh, Ingolstadt... You know, under Hasenhüttl played a very aggressive style and were rather successful with it as they stayed in the league. And Kochinski, and, uh, he's, he's not the coach who, uh, prefers that kind of aggressive forechecking or anything, but, uh, you know, more of a passive style. And I think he implemented that uh, throughout the season. And, uh, I think now actually against Cologne, they played a little bit more on the aggressive side again. And then it was like Kochinski who more or less passive aggressively said, See, it's uh, not working either that way. So, um, yeah, do you do you think uh, Dortmund will face a side that will, you know, press them high up the pitch, or do you expect a passive Ingolstadt waiting for their fate to be sealed? I think they will already be passive, and it's just you know, Kaczynski is not. I don't think he's the right kind of guy who should lead Ingolstadt, uh, especially after Hasenhüttl really showed how they should um, 
how they should manage their, their style, how, sh how they should play in the Bundesliga, and I don't really know if it was. I think Is Andre Breitenreiter the kind of guy who could have stepped in there? Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, he has his weaknesses as well, um, Breitenreiter. But looking at his work, uh, he did at Paderborn, for instance. Um, I think he at least would have done a little bit better than Kaczynski. That being said, um, it's not like, it's not like Ingolstadt has performed, um, so bad. Like when you look at the table and, uh, looking at only one point they gained and that was on the first match day against, uh, Hamburg. So they have done quite well against Bayern, for instance. So, and in a few other matches, they were a little bit unlucky. So, um, but still, Kauczynski, I don't think he's, he it was the right decision to appoint him as new coach. Um, he's not someone who has really, who has shown in the past that um, he has some kind of philosophy or something. It's just, you know, he was there in Karlsruhe. He had a job as, um, the under 19 coach and the reserve team coach. And then he got some short stints at interim coach. And then he got a job in 2012 to become, um, head coach of the first team. And sure, I mean, he did quite well in some seasons at least. Um, but when you look really into it and into what he has done in detail, um, it wasn't that impressive. And I was, yeah, I was quite surprised that he he was appointed as the new Ingolstadt coach. I yeah, think, interesting. I think uh, both, sorry, sorry uh, both Ingolstadt and Darmstadt kind of appointed second Bundesliga coaches as if they were anticipating going down this season. Remember that Darmstadt got Norbert Meyer, <laughs> who last coached uh, successfully or, or semi-successfully in the Bundesliga some 12 or 13 years ago, I think. So they both kind of kind of prepared for next season already, it seems. So I was also surprised, even though I'm obviously not nearly as uh, versed in the Kauczynski ways as Konstantin is, but I think they they just kind of wanted to to make a statement by making an early appointment. They, they couldn't wait for Breitenreiter, for example, because... They, uh, Breitenreiter was sacked after the last match at Schalke and, and uh, Ingolstadt had already appointed Kauczynski by then and it wasn't really close from the timing. So it, it felt like they just wanted to get someone in early to show that they, they can make a swift move after Hasenhüttl defected to Leipzig and it seems that that's now backfiring. So. Yeah, but I mean, I don't really think or I didn't expect from Ingolstadt that they, that you think they will get relegated. So quickly. So, I mean, in, in Darmstadt's case, I, I, of course, understand like their plan and, um, also like that they think they will get, uh, relegated and will be back in the second Bundesliga, uh, fairly quickly. But Ingolstadt, I mean, given the squad, given the finances and everything, they should be ambitious to some extent, at least. Yeah, they should, and, and I I was just saying that it felt like they were doing yeah, sure. that, that. That that's a mistake because I I mean we also uh, how how easily they 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 were safe last season, and even though they lost their their head coach who was really influential, I mean they they still have some quality in their in their team, and they shouldn't really go down this season. But it, it just feels like they they kind of prepared for it with, with that appointment, and it's now backfiring. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I I have the same feeling that Ingolstadt won't bode well this season. Um, but looking at the Dortmund side of things going into this match, um, we are recording this on Thursday, and uh, I think it was the first public training session ever. Uh, today, nevertheless, um, Marco Reus, Adrian Ramos, uh, Gonzalo Castro, Matthias Ginter, Mark Bartra, Lukas Piszczek were all in team training. Today, um, meanwhile, Marcel Schmelzer and Rafael Guerrero were not. I'm not sure what, uh, you know, Felix Passlack did. Andre Schüller trained individually, but already with the ball. Um, Lars, going into this match, um, would you rotate? And if so, who and where? I think the the question of rotation doesn't really present itself because they had to rotate so much with, with uh, different guys getting injured at different points in the recent weeks, so... It's all about getting the best 11 for that match. And, and I guess that depends wholeheartedly on the, the approach, uh, Tuchel expects from Ingolstadt. But I think the, the 11 we saw on Tuesday with some minor, uh, changes, uh, I mean, if, if Pischek is deemed fit to start, I guess he starts, uh, at right back. And then we'll see between Pastak, maybe Ginter and, uh, Park who will get the nod on at left back and, I mean, the rest can basically say the same for, for, for all I care. I don't think that, um, Gonzalo Castro is going to be able to start. I mean, I would be surprised to see him in the squad so early. So midfield, uh, worked pretty well against sporting and there, there's not too many options to, to change. Emre Moore is suspended. Sebastian Rode shouldn't make the starting 11 at this point. So I think, as I said, uh, the the fullback spots are the, the 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 places I'd look for changes, and the rest can basically say the same. Especially with the the cup match being on Wednesday and against a second Bundesliga side at home at the Westfalen Stadion, I don't think that's a that's a situation you need to prepare for with uh, rotation. Yeah, fair enough, Constantine. Anything you'd change? No. Okay, then uh, I guess we can uh, start with predictions. I'll go first and I will say 3-0 Dortmund. Konstantin? I say 2-0 Dortmund, of course. Obviously, Lars? <laughs> I usually don't do this, but I at, at this time I won't uh, pick another result just for shits and giggles. I also think it's going to be a 2-0 for Dortmund. All right, then I guess I'm the most ambitious here from the Dortmund perspective and uh, that should conclude our little Ingolstadt preview. Now on to Wednesday's cup game after this. Borussia Dortmund will play against Union Berlin on Wednesday night in the Westfalenstadion. It's a second round cup match. Um, Lars, I would ask once again whether Dortmund have, uh, you know, a hundred percent winning chance for this, but I guess you'll answer no. But now, Konstantin, Union Berlin, what's there to say about them and what can we expect from this game? Oh, Union Berlin, they are strong at home. But they play at Dortmund, so <laughs> that's out of the window. Um, yeah, Jens Keller, he is 
I guess, a familiar name. Uh, he's coaching um, Union at the moment. And yeah, they, uh, at the beginning of the season, they struggled a little bit, um, had some problems against teams like Bielefeld. Um, but then they, uh, Keller introduced like a diamond system. So uh, with a diamond in midfield. Um, that works quite well. They had um, a winning streak of four games, I believe, until they they lost to uh, Nuremberg. But still, that's that's a team that can at least be a. It, it can get a little bit ugly um, during a match uh, when you think about a diamond. Then they can apply man-to-man coverage in midfield and maybe neutralize uh, Dortmund's playmaker uh, for a certain amount of time. Um, especially when you got, you got Firstner, who's their a holding midfielder. He's really good at controlling the space. Um, Kroos, uh, so the, the brother of, of Tony Kroos, Felix Kroos, and Kailach, who's, uh, who's pretty talented and who's a strong player in the second league. Um, they are in the half positions. So, it's something they can, they can really neutralize Dortmund's midfield for, from the time. Um, but maybe, um, given it's, it's Jens Keller and, we know him. Maybe he will change uh, the, the formation. I will change the system, and they will just sit back in the four-five-one or something in the six-three-one, and then just wait for Dortmund to come on and yeah, roll over them. So we will see. But uh, if they apply the similar system to what we've seen in the recent league games, I think it could get quite interesting. But it could also backfire for uh, Union that they just you know concede one or two goals early on and then um yeah goes down south from there um but they're squad they have talented players in, in midfield in um in offense um an average backline uh, not not really impressive so maybe in one on one situations uh would get the edge um with you know the, the Bele against parents Parenson or uh I don't know um and we're more against Trimmel. That's like something that could be, it <laughs> could be a ball game, uh, for Dortmund. So, uh, we will see. Maybe Jens Keller, f- like, is afraid of, um, his, his defenders getting into one-on-one situation. And so he, he chooses to, you know, change the formation and uh, field six defenders or something. It's like something that happens all the time, especially in the, in the German Cup when a, a second league or third, uh, third tier division, uh, third tier team, um, competes against a Bundesliga team, especially against a Bundesliga team like Dortmund, who of course has all the talents up front. Um, so we will see. I, I think maybe it's an open game for, um, uh, half an hour or so. Maybe it will, uh, will be very easy for Dortmund if they score an early goal. So, but it's nothing really we should, we should be worried about. Um, so, yeah, it's not, like, hunch, it's not like Offenbach. Uh, it's not like Offenbach. Um, <laughs> some, some remember what happened there. <laughs> or like if, if some, uh, I mean, a lot of, um, Dortmund fans will remember what, uh, remember what happened, uh, in the like early 2000s when, uh, even the 90s when Dortmund lost to, you know, third division teams, fourth division teams all the time. And it was like first round German Cup. Nobody really paid attention because, uh, the fans already knew that Dortmund will go out, um, you know, it's, uh, playing at some one down stadium, uh, in some smaller city or, uh, against some unknown team and they will, will lose and yeah, go out. So the German Cup was really something, something different. And, uh, yeah, back then. Yeah. 
you you're right by now Borussia Dortmund fans really can look forward to cup games uh, usually uh, although I might point out that Jens Keller actually has quite a good record against Dortmund and that came with Schalke of uh, yeah which is probably not too pleasant uh, I think in four games he won twice and had one draw so only one loss but yeah Schalke and Union Berlin are not quite the same. Um, Lars, is there a match where you expect some rotations because it is also the game ahead of Schalke? Again, probably you get some of the guys back that were injured, so you, I think that would be a good opportunity to give them some time ahead of a bigger, and not necessarily more important, but you know, it's just a, a more difficult and, and bigger game against Schalke in the derby. I too don't really fear Union, uh, or the, especially at home, the, a, a traveling lower tier side usually doesn't want to wreck its season with a strong performance and then they go out by, with a late goal or something. So they, they are usually quite content with, uh, uh, going out and, and not spending too much energy there. And then they, they know, or the, these teams know they have, maybe a 0.5% chance of getting the win at Dortmund, at Bayern, or even at someone like Leverkusen or so. So I don't expect Union to, to really bring the game to Dortmund. I think we are likely going to see them play relatively deep and hope that they are on fire striker Colin Kwana uh, or Kyler, who Konstantin already mentioned, can make something happen out of nothing. And then they'll take the result, of course, but I don't think it's altogether likely. So Dortmund can probably rotate a little bit if they want to. Uh, it, I mean, we are running out of games for which we say if Nuri Shahin doesn't play here, who who will he play against? So I, that's another one on that list, I guess. Uh, but I don't uh, expect anything crazy. So I don't believe we'll suddenly see a team without Socrates, uh, without Weigel, without... Uh, Dembele without Aubameyang without all these guys I think we're still going to see a fairly normal lineup especially because they need to pick up a rhythm now uh, until the the next international break there are still what is it five games left or so so it's still important to to get into that rhythm and as I said it's not a game where you expect to to have to work too hard for 90 minutes so I don't think the 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 strain on the the players will be too big for the Uh, Saturday evening match against Schalke then. Yeah, I, I guess it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I think Paderborn was it, coached by Stefan Effenberg uh, not too long ago. Uh, was it the, the, the last cup season or the one before? I don't even remember where it was. Last more season or less seven, a shout-out. last season seven one, but, uh, it's an insult even to, Jens Keller to compare him to Stefan Effenberg and that is true. And, and that that Paderborn side was complete and utter garbage. And Union is a fairly talented second division side that actually has, I would say, a decent chance to win maybe the third spot and play relegation playoffs against, let's say, Ingolstadt in May. Yeah, would would be something. Um, I will go out on a limb now and that. 
brings me directly to the player I will talk about now, and that is Marco Royce. He has been back in team training, and I know it's it's uh, rather unlikely, but maybe, maybe, given he's finally back in team training, he might uh, make his comeback uh, if Dortmund are, I don't know, like 3-0-4-0 up in the last few minutes, at least to, you know, touch the pitch and, uh, yeah, have a little run out. But then again, I... I'm not really sure that's already uh, on the cards, but that would be maybe the sort of game where you can uh, yeah, give him a little run out. I don't know. How do you see it, Konstantin? Konstantin is not here anymore, so Lars. I'm not sure you want uh, Royce on the pitch against uh, tired second division defenders who will maybe come into a challenge a bit too late. And then, I mean, we all know it's only a matter of time before he has the next injury, but that uh, point in time uh, for a week here should be not in his first game back, so maybe in his fourth or fifth. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure it's a good idea to bring him on against an opponent like that. And also, I think it's also a, a bit early because he hasn't played since the cup final and uh, really only returned to team training now. So that's what, like four uh, training sessions, maybe five with the entire team. I think that's a, a, few, a little too soon yeah that's uh, what i was uh, planning to hear from you and uh, what i'm anticipating um i will now anticipate the predictions of you guys Lars, you going first i will say four one for dortmund Konstantin, i'm back <laughs> sorry um yeah three one three nil i get it for i go for a three nil All right, I'm going for a 3-1 then. There's that, um, and I guess that means we can all get out of here now. Uh, next week, we can preview the uh, match against Schalke, obviously, and uh, I guess the return leg against Sporting. So lots of things to look forward to as well. Yeah, we can basically talk about the two games Dortmund uh, hopefully won. Um, but for now, Konstantin, where can people find you on the internet while you're still here? Uh, on Twitter, of course, um, at cc underscore eckner, and on spielverlagerung.com, and for the German listeners on spielverlagerung.de. Yeah, and check out the spielverlagerung.com podcast. That's also in English language if you want to learn a little bit more about uh, tactics. Uh, Lars Pohlmann, where can people find you on the internet? And read all your work. They can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman and read my written work for bleachreport.com. And as I'm now used to saying, on occasion for yellowwallpot.com. That is nice of you to mention. Uh, you can obviously find my written work on occasion too on yellowwallpot.com. Otherwise on ESPNFC, you can follow me on Twitter at Stefan Butzko. And as always, you find all our Twitter handles on the or in the show notes rather of this episode uh, where you can uh, yeah download or subscribe to the show obviously on yellowwallpot.com you can also do that on iTunes and on SoundCloud and not to forget Stitcher then uh, yeah if you want you can also download the one football app and otherwise that would be episode 157 until next time goodbye <laughs>